Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Happy Resurrection Sunday to you, church, and good morning again to you. Welcome, and it's, isn't it so nice that the morning we've had together, and um, I'm just going to put this off to the side, and it's a privilege to gather like this with both uh, Seekers and Kenmuir, and uh, as you've heard the scripture being read, uh, we're going to be um, talking about something that happened just days before Jesus was crucified, uh, buried, and rose again. As you heard, it was the death of a beloved friend, a man by the name of Lazarus, a man by the name of Lazarus. And as the story unfolds in John chapter 11, we discover, or you you probably heard, a very sad but common theme emerge, Uh, simply put, the underestimation of Jesus, the underestimation of Jesus. Of Jesus, and that's what I want to share with you uh, this morning. To underestimate someone means to not recognize their greatness, okay? To, to not realize who they really are, what they're truly capable of. We've all done this, haven't we? Or we've had others underestimate us. To underestimate someone means to, to think that you know them, right? You think you know how they think. You, you think you know how they feel or what they can and can't do. To think that you have them all figured out, but to be entirely wrong. That's what it means to underestimate someone. And this Easter Sunday, my message to you, church family, friends, those watching from home, it's simple. Um, Whatever else you may do in this life, may you and I never, ever underestimate this Jesus, this glorious, risen Christ Jesus. And to help you to not make that mistake, to help us to not make those mistakes, I'd like to share with you just three examples, three examples of people like you and me who underestimated Jesus in his day, mistakes, if you will, that we can learn from this morning in our text, John chapter 11. And as we observe each of these mistakes in turn, um, my prayer is this, that whatever underestimations you have brought with you this morning, that they will come undone, that they will come undone, and your heart would be awakened to, to, to the great glory of Jesus. So with that, let us begin. The first thing that people underestimated about Jesus, number one, his plan. They underestimated his plan. You heard the story being read. Lazarus and his sisters, Martha and Mary, were friends of Jesus. They were friends. So naturally, when Lazarus fell ill, the sisters did what any friend would do. They called for Jesus. They called for him to come, but much to their dismay, what do we learn in verse 6? 
but that instead of rushing to their side as any good friend would do, as probably many of you would do, Jesus had a different plan. He had a different plan. It says in verse 6, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was, and by the time he arrives, verse 17, Lazarus is no longer ill, he's dead. It's too late. It's too late. And so when Martha, the sister, finally meets Jesus in verse 21, you can hear the pain in her voice. Look what she says. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had only been here, but you weren't. <laughs> you weren't. You're too late. I don't know if you noticed this, but a few verses later as the reading was going on, her sister Mary in verse 32 says the very same thing. Did you notice that? She says the exact same thing. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would... You know what that means? It means these sisters have talked about it. Right? As they were weeping, as they were grieving the loss of their brother, they looked at each other and said, where is Jesus? Where was Jesus? If, if he had been here, our brother would not have died. You understand what they're saying, don't you? They're saying, Jesus, you could have prevented this. That's what they're saying. You could, you could have prevented this, but you didn't. You see, friends, tragedies like this can cause even the best of us to question God's plan. Don't they? Can't they? Yeah. Of course. In the midst of suffering and loss, what do we ask? What's the question? Where was God? As you turn on the news and you read the horrors all around us, what are you asking? Where is, what is God's plan here? Or does He even have one? Well, Martha and Mary couldn't see it, but as chapter 11 unfolded, you heard it read, what do we realize but that these dear sisters completely underestimated the plan of Jesus. And I want to show you this little by little. Uh, we start in verse 4. Jesus begins by telling us the real reason that Lazarus fell sick. What's the reason? The reason Lazarus fell sick was for the glory of God. Did you catch that? It's for the glory of God. Could it be? Think of all the horrible illnesses and infections and cancers with which we are afflicted. Could it really be that these could serve a far greater purpose, such as the glory of God? That's what Jesus is saying. John continues in verses 5 to 6. Look at this. Why did Jesus delay his coming? What, was the, what made him come late? That's the question we're asking. And look at verses 5 and 6. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Verse 6, so he stayed two days. Did you catch that? Jesus loved them, so he waited. So he delayed. Love, could it really be that the hardships... And the sufferings in our life don't mean that God hates you. Have you ever heard people say that? Of course. God must hate me. No. Could it be rather that it is His very love for you 
that allows you to lie sick because he knows that as you wait on him, your faith will be strengthened. Could it be? That's what we found, church. It was his loving plan for, for, for Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead because he knew it would strengthen the sister's faith far more than healing Lazarus while he was alive, the healing they sought. What's more, contrary to what Martha and Mary thought, Jesus was not late. You know, Jesus is never late. Jesus is never late. In fact, his plan was precisely on time. I want to show you this. This is amazing. In verse 17, look at verse 17 again. John tells us, Lazarus' body was in the tomb how long? Four days. Four days. Now, that may not mean much to you and I today. But as it turns out, the Jews actually had a belief, this belief that, that after a person dies, their soul hovered over the body, guess how long? Three days, three days, hoping to re-enter it. But by the fourth day, it was considered that the soul had departed and the person was truly dead. What am I saying, church? Even Christ's delay, His four-day delay was according to His intentional plan so that when He raised Lazarus from the dead, no one could deny it was a miracle. It's a miracle. But that's not all. As we learned this past Good Friday, Jesus' ultimate plan was what? To die. To die for the sins of the world. And everything that he did leading up to that was to this end, was to his death. And so we have to keep that in mind and we can ask the question, well, why didn't he heal Lazarus? Why did he allow Lazarus to die? Because Jesus knew in verses 18 to 19 that a funeral would bring many from Jerusalem to come to console the family. Jesus knew that. What better way, in fact, right, to gather the masses to witness this miraculous sign than a funeral? Okay, well, why did he want to display the miracle so publicly at this time? Well, because Jesus knew in verse 46 that those very witnesses would return to Jerusalem and tell their leaders what Jesus had done. Okay, well, why did he want the leaders to know? Well, because Jesus knew in verse 53 that this would be the last straw for them. This would be the triggering event, putting into motion the very plans that led to his death on the cross. Church, do you see how greatly these sisters underestimated his plan, his plan? Which brings us to number two. The the second thing that people underestimate about Jesus is his power. His power. We pick things up in verse 22. Verse 22, Jesus has finally arrived on the scene, okay? And, and Martha leaves the home. She rushes out to, to meet him. And um, as the conversation between them is unfolding, what do we discover? But a second mistake that she makes, poor Martha, second mistake she makes, although she believed in Jesus, she did not recognize his power. Take a look at this, verse 22. 
What does she say? She says, but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. That's what, that's what Martha says to Jesus, right? And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Okay? Now pause there. Your brother will rise again. Um, I'm sure most of you will agree, but when someone in your life loses a loved one, it can be so hard to find the words to say. Is that not true? Have you been there? Like, it's so hard to know what to even say. Like, how do I even comfort them when they have gone through? The, I love how Rebecca and Leanna depicted this so well in their, in their skit, didn't they? But as Christians, the hope and belief that we hold firmly to is that one day we will see our loved ones again in Christ. That at the end of this age, all the dead will rise to either eternal life or eternal judgment. That is, like every believer knows that. Okay, if you're a true believer, you know that is the unmistakable promise of God's Word. And Martha knew this too. Okay, Martha knew that promise. And so when Jesus tells her, your brother will rise again, unfortunately, his words are coming to her like a, um, like a polite condolences card. That's, that's how she's, she's hearing it. Remember, she's mourning, right? Her brother just died. It's been only four days. So here's Jesus. She's mourning, and Jesus comes and tells her, you'll see him again one day. And that may be true, right? As believers, we believe that. That may be true one day, but today, today that feels like a distant, um, abstract hope, doesn't it? And so what does she say to him? She says in verse 24, I know this. <laughs> right? That's really, she says verse 24, I know that. I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. You see, church... Martha believed that Jesus was the Christ, verse 27. She believed He was the Son of God. She believed He was the one that the prophets promised. We looked at this already. She even believed that He could have raised Lazarus, or, or rather healed Lazarus, had He made it on time, right? And here in verse 24, we learn that she even believed that Jesus had the power to raise every single human being, every dead human on the last day. But today, not today. Not today. Why do I say that? Why do I say that? Well, well her true unbelief comes to light in verse 39. It's a bit humorous, but it, it does illustrate a point. When Jesus is about to do the very thing she longed for, right? Like Jesus is about to bring her brother back to life, and he only asks, what does he ask? He says, can you please take the stone away from the cave where the body was lying? And what does Martha say to him? She says, Lord, by this time, there will be an odor for he has been dead four days, an odor. Anxious Martha, with one hand she reached for Jesus to heal, and with the other she was more concerned about the 
smell, about the odor. And so Jesus reproves her in verse 25. Look at verse 25, the heart of the text. And he says to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. I am. Martha, I don't just bring it about. I don't just cause it. The beginning and the continuation of life itself is found only in me. What is Jesus saying? There is no resurrection from the dead. There is no eternal life found anywhere else except in him. And whoever believes, do you know what whoever means? That means you, here, you watching from home, whoever, you, me, Martha, Mary, whosoever unites themselves to Jesus by faith, look what his matchless power can do for you in verse 25 and 26. Even if your life comes to an end, even if your physical life ends, your soul will live. That's power, church. That is power. And for those of you who are believers today, I want you to let this sink in, okay? Because this, this verse 26 just kind of went, went past me when I was preparing. In verse 26, he tells us, if you're a believer today, you will never face death. Did you see that? Verse 26. Whoever, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you, do you know what that means? When you close your eyes on this earth, hear me, you will not spend even a millisecond in death. You won't. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's no intermission. There's no interruption, only life. That's it. It's life. It continues. That's the power of Jesus. That is the power of Jesus. And Martha, like many of us today, she believed, but she needed help for her unbelief. She believed, but she had unbelief. And so in verse 43, uh, the omnipotent Son of God speaks. That's all he had to do, right? Three words. He speaks. And all her underestimations come undone as she watches her dead brother walk out of that tomb. The power of Jesus. The power. Which brings us to the last, number three. His compassion. The third thing or the third trait people underestimated about Jesus was his compassion. I remember as a child when the Sunday school teacher asked us to um, come up with a memory verse, and they said the first one to give us a memory verse gets a treat or some sort of reward. This is where I came. You know what I did, right? John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the whole Bible. She gave me the treat, but she was not happy. She knew what I had done. Jesus wept. You know, even though it's the shortest verse, it's two words, but I tell you, there is so much contained in those two words. You know, in one sense, we as humans can relate with that, can't we? With his response. For it is human, isn't it, to cry? 
It's human to weep, especially at the loss of a loved one. After all, Jesus was, as the prophet Isaiah said, he was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. But when the Jews saw the way that Jesus wept, what does it say in verse 36? Here's what they concluded, okay? They saw his tears and they said this in verse 36, see how he loved him, okay? So, so, so to them, Jesus' tears meant this, right? Like, like see how, the, it's the love for Lazarus. It must be, that's how much he loved his friend, right? His, he, this is how much he loves his deceased friend. And although this is true, don't get me wrong, I'm not disputing that. Obviously, we know, we've covered it. Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved the grieving sisters, no question. But even though that's true, at first, it's not clear to us why Jesus wept. Do you know why I say that? Because he knew what he was about to do, didn't he? Didn't he? He, he, he knew what he was, he was about to raise this dead man. He was about to raise him from the dead. So you have to ask the question, why the tears? Right? Why the tears? Well, in verse 33, I believe John pulls back the curtain to help us understand Christ's compassion. And you need to follow this carefully. Look what it says. It says, when Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. You know, in those days, when a funeral took place, it was customary for the family to hire professional mourners. Okay, now that's not something we may be accustomed to here, but even in some cultures today, you'll find that. They hire professional mourners. They're usually, they were usually women who would come to the home, they would sit with the grieving family, and you guessed it, their job was to cry, <laughs> was to cry, was to weep with the family. And the wealthier the family was, of course, the more uh, mourners they would hire and uh, the louder the wailing would be. So if you can picture this scene, okay, picture the scene. These dear sisters, they're sorrowful, right, at the, at the loss of their brother. And then these mourners are crying out with a louder and a louder voice. And John tells us in verse 33 that seeing this scene, seeing this chaos, Jesus was deeply moved. And the Greek word that John uses there for deeply moved, it actually means, it doesn't just mean grief and sorrow. It means grief and sorrow with indignation. Okay? With anger. With outrage. So now, so now you have to want, like, why would Jesus be so sad and yet have anger in his heart? Why would he be angry? Can't be angry at God. He is God. Can't be angry at the sisters. He loves them. Why, where's the anger coming from? Well, um, I have several um, friends, neighbors, co-workers who believe this life is all there is. Do you know people like that? Of course you do, right? People who believe this life 
is all there is. And for them, for them, that means death is the end. Just sit on that for a second. Death is the All your relationships, your accomplishments, your possessions, you take nothing with you, you have nowhere to go. It doesn't matter if you were rich or poor or popular or not popular. You could have fought for a good cause your whole life or a bad cause your whole life. What does it matter? What does it even mean if we all end up in the same soil? And let me tell you something, church. When people like this, people who believe this, when they really think about death, when they really contemplate that death is the end, or worse, when they lose a loved one, their despair, their utter despair is one of the most disturbing, troubling things you can see. We don't often see it. Do you know why? Because they drown that despair in other things. You know what I'm talking about, right? They try to run away from that despair with other, other kind of mediums but it is one of the most disturbing, troubling things when someone who thinks this life is all there is, when they contemplate the end of this life, as 1 Thessalonians 4.13 tells us, they grieve as those who have no hope. No hope. You and I are not used to that because always in life, we, we find hope, don't we? Humanity, don't we try, we try to find hope, don't we? That, that things are going to work out, things are going to be better. What gets you through your job, <laughs> right? Hope, hope. But when you come to the end and there is no hope, there is no hope, oh, that despair is troubling. And the thing about Jesus, the thing about God is, this hopeless kind of sorrow is not what God created the world for. It's not. God created you and me to know Him. He created us to be in a joyful relationship with Him for eternity, but sin has ruined all of that. It's ruined all of that. Jesus was angered by the evil of sin. Of sin. Sin, which spares no human. Sin, which throws the entire fallen world into hopeless despair. Sin, through which death entered God's good world and continues to ravage it to this day. This is what deeply moved Jesus. You know, um, I found a very helpful illustration of this, R.C. Sproul. You know, when you and I visit a, a hospital, you go to the cancer ward, the oncology ward, and when you see one after the other those patients with cancer, the grief in your heart grows, doesn't it? As you see their suffering, your grief, you're, you're grieving within you, but when you leave that hospital ward and you hop onto the elevator and you're descending down, Suddenly, your grief takes on a kind of anger, doesn't it? What do I mean? I hate cancer. I hate what cancer has done. You see, church, Jesus' tears were not just for his friend. His tears were against the pandemic 
that has affected every human being long before COVID-19, your sin. My sin. But people didn't understand. They didn't understand this compassion. Look what they said in verse 37. It's a very sarcastic question. Verse 37 of um, John 11, sorry. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? It's sarcasm, isn't it? Have kept it. It's the same ignorance. I don't know if this rings a bell for you, but it's the same ignorance that came when Jesus was hanging on the cross. And what did they ask? They said, could not he who saved others save himself? This was the underestimation of Jesus. His plan, his power, his compassion. And as we conclude, John 11 closes with the guests from the funeral. The guests have returned, okay? They've come back from Bethany. They've come to Jerusalem. And they've told the leaders what Jesus did. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And instead of believing in Jesus, I want you to see what these leaders did in verse 48. Verse 48. These leaders were more concerned about their politics. Do you see that? They were more concerned about their positions, their place in life. They didn't want things to change, right? They didn't want their lives to change because they knew if everything they were hearing about Jesus was really true, they knew their lives could never be the same again. And friends, I think they were onto something. Because if you and I are honest today, you too know that this is true. You know. You know. As you assess all of this, you've heard the plan and the power and the compassion of Jesus. You may be stirred and convicted, but in your heart of hearts, you know that if you really were to believe this, your life must, needs, change. You know that. You can't remain a Christmas and Easter Christian. You know it would mean you'd have to repent. You'd have to follow him in order to experience true joy in Christ. You know that. (laughs) Without fully knowing um, the weight and the gravity of what he's saying, in verse 50, the high priest speaks up, okay? And the high priest, Caiaphas, he proposes a solution to the Jesus problem. This is his solution, okay? Okay? Jesus is threatening our politics. He's threatening our nation. He's threatening our way of life. Here's the solution he proposes. Verse 50, he says, It's better for us that one man should die than that the whole nation should perish. What does he mean? He means, look, God, it's one person. Don't throw away the Jewish nation for one one person. Just take him out. Right? If he's a threat, just take him out. And little did he know, that this, verse 50, is exactly what Jesus would do. It's exactly what Jesus would do. He would die for people. He would die in our place. 
a sacrifice, a substitute for sinners like you and me so that on the third day, in accordance with the Scriptures, with the same power that raised Lazarus from the dead, God would vindicate Jesus and raise him from the dead in shining glory so that this Easter morning I could stand up here and I can tell you, friends, death is not the end. Death is not the end. And I'm not just speculating, right? I'm not just, this is not wishful thinking. This is because of the one who came back from the dead and lives to tell us what lies beyond. The resurrection and the life. Jesus. And just as he commanded Lazarus, come out. Truly, truly, I say to you that an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of God, the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. So this Easter, as I said at the outset, whatever else you may do, may you and I never, ever underestimate this Jesus this glorious, risen Christ Jesus. We're going to pray, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And um, I realize that anytime we get up here and we speak God's word, we basically divide the room. Like this goes out like a, like a sword, and it divides the room. There's two groups of people here. One for whom the song we're going to sing is a song of joyful celebration, Right? Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, right? It's going to be a joyful song. We're going to sing with all our hearts because we know what Jesus has done for us, that he has made it so that we will never face death. That's those of you who are Christians who can say that with a great hearty amen. But I also know that there are some of you here who don't yet know Jesus this way. You don't. And so to you this morning, I want to leave these three things. That Jesus has compassion. He has compassion for sinners. That Jesus has the power. He has the power to save us. And that Jesus has a plan. He has a plan for your life to bring God glory. He has a plan. And so I need to leave you with that one question that Jesus leaves with Martha. Very simply, do you believe this? Do you believe? Because if you do, this is what Jesus can do for you. Let's pray, church. Father, I thank you for this wonderful, this beautiful morning that we could gather like this where your church could come together to celebrate the resurrection. How you came, you lived a perfect life, you died in our place to pay the price for our sins, but you didn't stay in the grave. No, the same power that raised Lazarus came and raised Christ from the dead. That if we believe, if we believe, if we only believe, Lord, we can be saved. 
we can have that eternal life. We can know that when death comes, we can take comfort knowing that we won't, when, I, when we close our eyes on this world, we open our eyes immediately to the world beyond. Thank you for that reality, O oh God. And as we see our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our colleagues, Lord, and we see the way that they, they are trying to cope with this life, with the hardships and the sufferings, and they're seeing everything, all the horrors on the news, everything we're watching around us. And when they really think about this life, that this is all there is, and that death is the end, Lord, what kind of despair are they carrying even right now? What kind of hopeless depression are they going through that they're trying to hide and, and drown out with other things, social media, alcohol, relationships, whatever it may be? Oh God, may we have love in our hearts to tell them the truth. That you don't have to see the world this way because there is one who came back from the dead to tell us what lies beyond, the resurrection and the life, Jesus. We love you and we give you all the glory for what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.